Hello, I'm Jacob Kruger, and this is the Write Your Screenplay Podcast. So season nine of Dexter, New Blood, is premiering soon. So I think that it's about darn time we talked about Dexter on this podcast. I have to admit, when this show first came out, I was super resistant to watching it. I was like, okay, a serial killer who only kills bad people, is there any easier way out than that? Fortunately, I made the mistake of letting that perspective slip to my fiance, who promptly sat me down and forced me to watch every single season. And of course, it turns out I was completely wrong. This is a show that takes what really could be a glossed over, super palatable Hollywood version of serial killing and actually turns it into a really deep exploration of something much more interesting. Not what it means to be a serial killer, but what it means to be a human being. It takes a deeply disconnected character who really just wants human connection, despite the fact that he's biologically unable to feel it. And it takes him on a journey where season after season, he becomes a little bit more human. Along the way, Dexter really shows us how we all can become disconnected as people and as writers. It shows us how we all keep secrets that cut us off from other human beings, how we all hide ourselves from the people we love most, and how we can all actually be a little sociopathic at times. But Dexter also shows us how we all strive to feel connected. It shows the beauty and the cost of longing for and coming closer to and missing out on opportunities for vulnerability and empathy. Now, how is this going to play out in the ninth season of Dexter? That remains to be seen. But for the first three seasons, Dexter slices its way through those treacherous waters with a simple but really elegant engine. And though it may stumble a bit in its middle seasons, it actually does what very few shows do, and it finds its way back to what makes it great. And for this reason, studying Dexter is really valuable for anybody who wants to understand how to write for television, not just how to write a show, but how to keep a show going. I want to start by looking at the writing in Dexter from a slightly different angle. Usually when we're looking at a TV show, we start by talking about big complicated things like engine and structure and how they're put together. But today, we're going to get really deep by looking at one very specific scene and the way that that scene was put together. I want to show you how to find that idiosyncratic personal voice in your writing. And that's a complicated thing to find, especially when you're writing a scene in a familiar genre that we've seen a million times before. How do you find your voice? How do you find that really specific, special thing that captures that unique idiosyncratic part of you when you're writing within parameters that maybe seem a little too familiar? We're going to do a deep dive into this one very specific scene, a scene that in other hands could have been extremely boring. It's the kind of scene that we've seen many, many times before, not only in Dexter, but in literally any show in the cop genre. It's the scene where the latest murder victim is found. 
The scene we're going to be looking at is at the very beginning of the season three finale. Episode 12, Do You Take Dexter Morgan? To catch you up on what's happening up to now, I'm going to talk a little bit about the engine of Dexter. Dexter is a serial killer. The engine of the series is that all Dexter wants is somebody who understands him. Because for his entire life, he's had to keep this terrible secret that he's a sociopath who doesn't feel anything, that he carries a dark passenger, a part of himself that wants to kill and just can't be satiated. So in this quest to be a good person and to not get caught, Dexter lives by Harry's code, the code of his police officer father. And that same code that keeps him safe is also the code that keeps Dexter forever isolated from other people. The movement that Dexter goes through in episode after episode, season after season, the thing that actually makes him likable is not that he's this crazy serial killer. It's actually that he starts to build human connections and even gets close to feeling human feelings. We're not watching Breaking Bad when we watch Dexter. We're watching Breaking Good. What happens in each season of Dexter is that Dexter finds somebody who actually has a chance to understand him, who shows him who he could be, if only he could be seen and accepted by another human being. In fact, even though Dexter New Blood is set 10 years after the original run's finale, showrunner Clyde Phillips has talked about it exploring themes related to family and fathers and sons specifically. In this way, Dexter isn't telling the story of a serial killer. He's telling the story of a family. He isn't telling the story of a serial killer. He's telling the story of a man who's trying to live up to his father's example. He isn't telling the story of a serial killer. He's telling the story about a brother and a sister who are trying to connect. The tragedy of Dexter is that after changing and healing and growing and becoming more human, at the end of each season, he's going to have to kill somebody. Not for bad reasons, but for good ones. But that murder is going to reset him in that state of sociopathy that he's so used to functioning in. And so at the beginning of the next season, he's reset and he's going on that journey again. And this is the tragic engine of the show. And the real reason that this engine is so powerful is that even though most of us are not serial killers or sociopaths, every single one of us has had the experience of opening our hearts to somebody else. All of us have had the experience of being moved and changed by somebody, of becoming more of who we are or who we want to be, of becoming more of a person, and then being hurt, disappointed, betrayed, devastated. Every single one of us has had that experience of becoming more human by actually empathizing and becoming vulnerable to another human being. And all of us have had to make the decision that Dexter has to make at the end. Not to kill somebody, but the harder decision. The thing that he's really grappling with, which is whether to stay open to hold on to our growth 
whether to stay vulnerable in the face of betrayal, loss, hurt, threat, risk, danger, or to close off that piece of ourselves that makes us human. This is what makes this show about a sociopathic serial killer something that we can really connect to. Not just as gawkers at horror, but as emotional human beings. In season one, the friend who understands Dexter is another serial killer, the ice truck killer, who turns out to be his brother, separated from Dexter after their mother was brutally murdered and dismembered before both of their eyes. And over the course of the first season, the ice truck killer seduces Dexter with his darkness. At the same time, Dexter's sexually uncomfortable girlfriend, who he's taken on as a beard for his sociopathy, is seducing him with her light. So on one hand, you have the darkness. On the other hand, you have light. And you have Dexter caught in between. And by the end of the season, Dexter has to choose between the darkness that understands him and the light that never will. And even though he chooses the light, doing so means killing the one person in the world who could actually understand him, the one person in the world with whom he could actually connect, which resets him for season two in this disconnected place. So in season two, the engine repeats. The friend who understands Dexter is Lila. Lila is a beautiful artist and a recovering addict. Much like Rita in the first season, Lila begins as a beard. Dexter has convinced Rita that he is addicted to drugs as a way of hiding his darker activities when he gets really close to being caught. And she has forced him to join a 12-step program. Uh, in which Lila becomes his sponsor. So really, she's just a beard, another cover for his dark passenger. But what's really beautiful is that Lila turns out to really understand Dexter's dark passenger. Even if she doesn't recognize it as a need to kill, she does recognize it as an addiction, which is something that he never looked at before that maybe he is not inherently evil or inherently disconnected, but rather inherently addicted. Maybe that this is something that he can move through. And as she pushes him through the 12 steps with love and without judgment, what's amazing is Dexter actually changes. He lets go of his addiction. He finds what looks like real love with Lila. And he becomes a better man, if not a better boyfriend in the process. Unfortunately, it turns out that Lila has a dark passenger of her own that is much less controlled and possibly even more destructive than Dexter's. By the end of the season, you know what happens. Dexter once again has to make the choice that will cost him the one person who could possibly understand him. In season three, the friend who understands him is a powerful, high-profile prosecutor named Miguel. In the season opener, Dexter tries to kill a violent drug dealer who's been on his hit list. And he inadvertently ends up murdering Miguel's brother. 
Miguel is totally convinced that the drug dealer has committed the murder. And when Dexter finally finds his target, Miguel catches him in the act of killing the drug dealer. But rather than acting like a prosecutor and turning him over to the authorities, Miguel is overwhelmed with gratitude and a profound friendship actually emerges between Dexter and Miguel, which develops over the course of the season. For the first time in his life, Dexter's got a real friend. It's the kind of friendship that could teach even a total sociopath what friendship really is and what that really means. By the end of the season, Dexter believes he's turned Miguel into a serial killer just like him. They're two like-minded buddies hunting down the bad guys that a failing system is set free and dispatching their own kind of justice together in pursuit of a better world. In doing this, Dexter violates his father's code by revealing his true self to another person. He does all this so he can have a friend and actually just connect with another human being, that one thing that he really wants. This is actually the first time that we've seen Dexter violate Harry's code. In other words, this is the first time we've seen him honestly and completely be himself with another human being. And the friendship does wonders, not only for Dexter, but also for Rita, who finds her own new best friend in Miguel's wife. And who finally believes herself to be moving towards the kind of marriage she's always dreamed of with the evolving Dexter. Unfortunately, unlike Dexter, Miguel does not have a code at all. It turns out that Miguel has been playing Dexter, that their friendship was never real, and that Miguel is using his newfound serial killer skills to kill off his political enemies, whether they are evil or not. Dexter, as you can see, here's the engine again, right? He's betrayed again. He makes himself vulnerable. He's betrayed again. And he turns his best friend into his worst enemy. So after a dark cat and mouse game between them in episode 11 of season three, Dexter chokes Miguel to death. So here we are at the very beginning of season three, episode 12, the season finale. And we have the scene where Miguel's body is discovered. If you are the writer, this is the kind of scene that you dread writing. There's just not a lot of excitement inherent in the scene. First off, we already know Dexter's plan, which is to pass off the body as the victim of a different killer that the cops have been tracing. Since we already know the plan, there is no interesting reveal of how Dexter did it. There's no interesting sleight of hand. We've also already seen so much brutality out of Dexter and so much brutality out of the other killer who literally skins his victims alive that a choking victim, the way that Miguel has been killed, a choking victim is just not particularly interesting. If anything, it's anticlimactic. Most importantly, we've seen the body gets discovered scene in a million other crime shows. 
let alone in several episodes of Dexter. We've seen dead body after dead body found in some horrible position, all of which are, quite frankly, a lot more terrifying than Miguel's bruising around the neck. The truth is we can't really outdo those graphic images from all those other TV series by focusing on the horror. We can't even really outdo what we've already seen in Dexter because the writers have been so freaking brilliant in executing the different multifaceted death scenes in all these previous episodes for three freaking seasons. We have to somehow find a new way to deal with this old scene, to find a new way worthy of the discovery of the dead body of the person who has become the most important person to ever enter Dexter's life. The way the writers face this challenge is so interesting. So if you're listening to the podcast, you want to go watch this at the very beginning of season three, episode 12. We start on really close on Miguel's dead face. Then we get a little bit wider and we see this bruised cut where the wire choked him. We pull up and the images starts to turn until we are far, far away looking at the body from above. From this odd distance, we realize we're on a peninsula surrounded by water. A jogger appears, sees the body, pulls out his phone while backing away and runs away. Two cop cars appear and the cops get out. A fire truck appears. A black car appears. Cops roll out the yellow tape. Cops talk amongst themselves. Finally, from way up above, Dexter ducks under the yellow line and takes pictures of his best friend. Even though we've seen a million different death scenes and a million different shows like this, we've never seen the death scene from exactly this angle. But what's even more interesting about this scene is that this unique shot that starts so close on Miguel's face and then pulls so far, far, far away isn't just a stylistic directorial trick. It grows out of the internal state of the main character. It's an externalization of Dexter's internal experience and the story that he's telling himself about his friendship and about who he is as a person. The shot is exactly what Dexter's experienced over the season, feeling so close to another human being, telling himself the story of a real friendship and then pulling so far, far away when he sees his friend's darkness, that he can't feel anything at all. It's the same thing he fears any good person would do to him if they actually saw his own dark passenger. It's his fear of judgment. It's his fear of rejection. It's his fear that anyone who saw him clearly would just simply need to pull away. 
Dexter can't even feel the closeness that once existed. There is nothing left. He is on a peninsula surrounded by water and his friend is just a body on the ground that he photographs and documents. This image is juxtaposed with a voiceover in which Dexter talks about what it's like to be an empty vessel, which is how he's always felt. We realize at that moment that this shot is composed of that exact emptiness. This shot grows out of that empty feeling. And those words like that image are the new story that Dexter is telling himself about this person that he actually did become close with. We are actually watching Dexter in a tragic moment, cancel out that real closeness with emptiness. We're watching Dexter, like we do every season, fall back into his old pattern after getting so, so close to discovering a new part of himself. So what's so powerful about that shot is that we feel Dexter acting out this internal story and shifting his own internal story back towards emptiness and darkness. This is where that personal idiosyncratic voice, your unique take on the material comes from. Even when you're working on a scene that doesn't immediately lend itself to drama, your voice doesn't come from a brilliant idea or from somewhere out there. Rather, it comes from looking deep inside yourself, deep inside your character, deep inside the pages you've already written, and finding a way to externalize the internal story that you find there. That experience may come to you in an intellectual way. It may come to you in a visceral way. It may be that if you're a visual person, something visual just comes to you before you even know what it means. If you look closer at that image, eventually you'll realize the key to really understanding your characters lies in that image that your subconscious mind has given you. That image already tells you exactly what you need to know. If you're less visual, you might get a boring image that doesn't seem so special. In that case, don't worry. Just close your eyes and keep looking. Say to yourself, let me look at this image a little bit closer. Let me listen a little more distinctly. Let me just keep searching the image until I find something that surprises me. It may be that once you find that surprising image or that surprising line or that surprising moment that you're then able to deconstruct it. You may discover that once you find that image, you're then able to extrapolate and figure out what that image actually means. What does it say about your character's journey? What does it say about their internal state? How is it an externalization of their internal story? You may have trouble picturing cool visual images in the same way as some of us have trouble hearing cool lines of dialogue. That's okay. Maybe the line of action in your script just looks like another discover the body scene. Maybe a line of dialogue just sounds like a, hey, what's up, how you doing? In that case, 
Again, relax. If you're a little more cerebral, then one of the ways that you can find the specificity that we're talking about here to find that voice is to ask yourself really specific questions. What would happen if I looked inside my character? What if I actually connected to the internal story that my character is telling themselves at that moment of their journey? What, what is that little voice in their head saying? And why is that beautiful or tragic or complicated? What if I actually connected to what that internal story means to them, what it feels like to them? You can then ask yourself, how do I externalize that feeling? into something that I can see or hear? How can I take that internal story and turn it into a visual, something that's representative of the internal feeling? How can I take that feeling and extrapolate it into a visual image that's symbolic of what's really going on inside? It doesn't really matter whether you work from the outside in or from the inside out, but the thing that does matter is that level of specificity. Clear images and clear lines and clear structures make clear scripts. But clear scripts are not the scripts we fall in love with. It's those beautiful idiosyncratic images, those unforgettable lines, the moments that we remember. And those moments happen in our writing. When we stop acting like a sociopathic manipulator moving the pawns of our story, when we let go of our need to control, when we let go of the code of whatever we've learned our script is supposed to be or seen in other movies, when we instead find a way to overcome all that and connect. When we come at something from this deeply connected place, we're going to find something that's different than what anybody else would find. And those are the moments that sell scripts. Those are the moments that make us fall in love with characters. Those are the moments that make us feel a little more human. Being a screenwriter, is a journey of empathy. And just like Dexter, there are numerous obstacles that stand in our way. Some of them come from our past, from well-meaning people who meant to protect us. Some of them come from traumatic events, from people who didn't wish us well or failed us. Some of them come from painful relationships, moments of failure, moments of rejection. But the process of being a writer, like the process of being a human, is about getting past all that and finding the trust in others and yourself, finding the trust in the characters that live in you finding the trust in what you see and hear and feel when you look a little more closely, finding the trust in your ability to connect and then evolve. Mm -hmm.
I hope you enjoyed this podcast. Please rate and review us and then come join me for a free class every single Thursday night. You can RSVP and find out more at writeyourscreenplay.com slash Thursday.